Okay, let's go. Thanks so much for joining me, Gary. It's uh, it's great to have you here and uh, share your wisdom about all things flora, fauna, and fungi. Um, the mycelium one is is something I'm definitely keen to to ask you a lot on because it's not something I've had the chance to really dive into yet. Um, sure. Generally, try to reconnect on a personal level with diet and the micro importance of the microbiome and how that relates to the the soil got a little bit of experience last year with with farming and permaculture and i know that's something that you've uh, got a lot of experience in and and a few projects that we'll no doubt get into um first i guess i'd like to start with your personal journey so at what point did you feel this curiosity to go down this path because it seems like it's something that's developed and and matured over time with you but was there always this propensity towards nature and this curiosity to connect with nature through through the soil that's 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 an interesting question um you know you say that you're on this path i mean we're all we're all on this path Sure. And uh, some have been on it for their whole life. Some have been on it for, you know, two months. Some have been on it for like me. Uh, mine started, let's see, probably in 2014, the end of 2014. I, w- I was always, you know, to, to really understand your connection to nature and your place in the universe, you have to be able to let go a little bit of ego, I think. Um, you know, that's not necessarily a prerequisite, but it certainly fucking helps or helped me. Um and he, so, so for me, it really started when I broke the mold of what my perception of reality was started back in, in 14 when I got divorced and then traveled. And that's when I met you. Um, we were in Thailand, right? That was in Pai, we yeah. In Pai, Pai. yeah. Yeah. And now through us, you know, just a series of circumstantial events, you know, pointing back to it, I, I, I would honestly say it was the mushrooms that really opened my mind to my place in the universe and my connection with nature and and how it all, because that's that's really where the wormhole started for me. Um, you know, previous to that, I was a very chemically entrenched healthcare provider, um, you know, working in the ICU in the most intensive care unit, uh, trying to save people from, you know, oblivion, people that were going to die regardless. But, you know, it's not that everybody in the ICU is ego-driven, but I would say that, uh, you know, if I was going to typecast, there is very much a, we're going to save you kind of mentality. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a fear of death. I think that probably comes from a fear of death, to be honest. I'm not, this is very, I'm not trying to say everybody's like that. Obviously there, there are, there are outliers to that, but um, so yeah. So when I, when I went through my divorce, I was very, like I said, I was very chemically entrenched and ego driven. I had nice shoes and a nice car and, you know, I was in a very unhappy relationship and, and buying all these material items, uh, you know, to get by. But um so when that world was shocked with the trauma of my divorce and all the shitty things that kind of went along with it, um, you know, that I made a decision. It was, do I, do I stick around here, find a new job? And cause me and my wife worked at the same place. And, and I was like, you know what, screw it, man. Like, I'm, I'm going to travel. I, I really wanted to travel. She, um, when we traveled together, my, my wife and I, my ex-wife, excuse me, and I, uh, she was very much like a, let's stay at the thousand dollar a night kind of place. And, right. you know, that's, that's not my style or I, I didn't want it to be, let's put it that way. So, so the traveling thing, that's why I cut bait. You know, I, I sold all my material belongings for, you know, I, I had a nice little chunk of cash, maybe uh, 40,000 or 30,000 and traveled and, 
and uh, was spending maybe $25 to $30 a day trying to, uh, just to get by, just to see what living on the lower end of life would, would really provide me. And, you know, before I went, everyone was, um, like we were talking before, everyone was asking me, are you going to get your shots? Are you going to get your shots? You know, it's like... <laughs> You know, there's there's this there's this very much fear-based uh, mentality here in the United States. Like, don't leave the United States. Yeah, you know, it's unsafe out there. And I think a little bit. I mean, whatever mind social mind control is is once you step out of the matrix, you're like, wait a second. You know, all of these yep. programs that were fed aren't really the best fucking program to be running and so uh for me being a chemically entrenched you know allopathic trained western medicine nurse um it was it was what i needed you know so i traveled and i i didn't take my malaria medications and i just kind of flew by the seat of my pants and and um you know we were told that these third world countries are are, are poor health and they're poor financially and dangerous and dangerous yeah there's there's murders and you know i'm not a female and i'm not small either so maybe that is a risk for a, a single traveling female that was alone and wherever who knows I'll, i can only speak to my circumstance but so when i traveled and, and went to these places i found uh, like at first my idea was i was going to travel for a year and you know, go see every country oh you yeah. know so american uh <laughs> So silly. And I, I quickly realized that to truly understand the nature of a place or the, or the, um, the culture of a society is to really immerse yourself in it. So when I did that, whether it was Pi, which is where we met, that was probably my fifth place on my journey. I think I went to Japan and then the Philippines and then Vietnam. And then, and then I think it was, no, yeah, I can't remember. No, it was the Vietnam and then it was Pi. Yeah. And so by the time I got to Pi, it was total, total full immersion for me. I spent, let's see, it was, we got a 30 day visa, but I got a 10 day extension. So I spent 40 days in Pi. And um, that was what you saw is, yeah, maybe they weren't rich, but these people are so, they're, you know, they're poor financially, but they're rich in things like love and happiness and health, especially and health. Community as well. Yeah, that's, that's what, that's what, yeah, exactly. And that's what really sparked my interest from a healthcare aspect was, you know, what, what makes these people different from, you know, the United States? I mean, we have such an excess of wealth in the United States. Now it is, you know, separating, right? Uh, but we have so much convenience. And I think to that convenience, we've almost gotten a, a you know, complacency and, and unhealth in that, in that space sure. kind of like wally you know we're, we're riding around and in, in a convenient world and getting overweight and obese and just developing all these these health problems and so when i was traveling in these several countries see these people be really healthy and eating their food finding out that their food comes from their local ecosystem not from a soil system that grows three thousand miles away in california for example for me um had everything to do with with their health uh, and not just the food, although that was a huge portion and the fact that it came from a local ecosystem, but like you said, the community, I mean, the Native American principles of healthcare are, there's four aspects. There's mind, which, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into, but to me, that's trauma. The way that trauma affects you from the past or things that are going to go on in the future or the things that are in the now, but are taking you away from this moment. 
Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you allow these traumas, whatever they are, micro, macro, dad didn't play catch with me, mom didn't give me a hug, someone didn't smile at me on the way to the supermarket, whatever they are, they're taking you away from the present. So to, to be fully conscious and aware of the present is allowing, allowing your body to be able to really heal. Yeah. So there's mind, there's body, which I would argue now that, that, that medicine is practicing all wrong because it's very chemically based. There was a, a farmer from the 1900s that talked about when you try to, this is, this is how agriculture and healthcare are very uh, similar. He said, when you try to solve a biological problem with a chemical solution, you end up with more biological problems. Right. And that is, that is what's wrong with Western medicine. Because we take biological problems and we try to understand them using chemical interventions. And we just end up with, you know, I mean, oh, oh do, you, do you suffer from tardis, tardive dyskinesia uh, related to a side effect from this other medication you're taking? It's like, well, fucking duh. We're having these biological problems, this tardive dyskinesia related to an antipsychotic that you're taking that causes the, tar- you know, you see what I'm saying? Like we're compounding the issues, right? Yeah. And you're seeing that all over yeah. the board with autoimmune disease, you know, yeah. allergens, autism. Yeah. It's all going parabolic. Yeah. Yep. So mind, body, uh, which I argue is, is being done all wrong because we're not addressing the biological issues. We're just trying to throw chemical solutions at it. Spirit, which is a new study uh, within the last 10, 15 years called microbiome. I believe that's the spirit aspect of it because that we start diving into epigenetics and how our spirit influences the expression of our, our genes. Yeah. And then community. So community being your structure, your family around you. And so, you know, I learned all of these four things not, not long ago, maybe three years ago now, not, not back in 2014, but I was seeing them before I learned about them in these native environments in, in, in Thailand. Now I will tell you that the mind aspect of it, and this is where we get into, you know, meditation, the Wim Hof breathing, that, that kind of meditative state can also be uh, accomplished in a, um, if your mind is ready for it under the use of, uh, uh, hallucinogenics or psychedelic drugs. Yeah. Okay. I would, I would argue they're actually medicines, yeah. you know, whether it be psilocybin, whether it be uh, MDMA guided uh, psychotherapy, whether it be, uh, you know, a trip to the Amazon to do ayahuasca, which I just got back from. I mean, these are all things that have helped me immensely. And in the United States, since the Reagan era have been just like, we shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff, you know? So um, it was a culmination of all those things that really brought me out of my shell of allopathic, ego-driven, Western medicine nurse to who gives a shit about how much money I'm making? Like, where is the earth going? How much pain is it is it feeling right now? And how can I try to make it better? Yeah. So, you know, this is this is very much a shorthand of, of, of a, you know, seven year journey now, because we're in 2000, no, it's eight year journey now um, since 2014. But um, you know, I traveled, I did the hallucinogenic magic mushrooms when we were in Thailand. And that really opened my eyes to my place in the universe, how I'm connected to everything, including the land and helped to dissolve my ego. Um, you know, it wasn't all encompassing. It didn't happen all in one night, uh, but it definitely planted a seed for a spiritual rebirth for sure. So it sounds like you went through this process of redefining what success means to you on a, on a personal level, right? You had this previous value hierarchy from your Western culture that was conditioned into you and found yourself at a loose end because ultimately it wasn't fulfilling, right? That's probably a big reason why you made this big decision to go leave and, and really get a one-way ticket to 
uh, sounds a bit cliche, but find yourself. And this is, you know, we've met tons of people on our journey that, that have gone through this process. And I think it seems... It, it seems really clear to me that the first step is leaving, right? Is leaving yeah. your culture and taking that plane ticket to somewhere else. Because in that step, it's a really big first step traveling because you get to question your culture. So you get yeah. to reflect on your conditioning and realize you go to another country and you realize, oh, wow, they don't value that thing like it's valued in where I'm from you know and that starts unraveling this process of oh okay culture is completely subjective there is no objective culture so yeah. it allows you that freedom to re rediscover yourself right because you're not confined to that culture within which you've been sitting historically so I think that's a really big first step that, that anyone can take on the on the path to spiritual awakening is just that 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 step into open-minded travel and exploring different cultures and like you say you you it was pretty spontaneous right with the 40 days in pie like most people do yeah. a little stop through there but you yeah. connected with with yeah. that environment and that was clear to see I think um I didn't realize how fresh that experience was for you then because obviously we just met and I think that was the second time I'd taken mushrooms and it was and it was it was the first time I'd taken them in nature. That was something that was big, big difference. So um, for me, that was almost like doing them for the first time because the the experience is completely different once you're once you're in nature as opposed to uh, the streets of Amsterdam, let's say. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, this it's interesting that your passion for mycelium really started as as a as a very vivid experience with the yeah. mushroom itself, which <laughs> it seems to me the mushroom is in the, in the form of mycelium is, is the most powerful organism on the planet. You know, it seems yeah. to be, seems to be intermediating this death and life process that everything goes through. And, and yeah. by virtue of that, they can afford you with these, uh, out of body experiences and like you say connection with with something greater than yourself yeah yeah it was uh it was quite a mesmerizing experience you know i mean it's it's yeah it's um it's nuts i felt you know and each each, each experience was different you know what i mean the with the psilocybin it was I don't know. It was so hard to describe, you know, I mean, I, I when I, when I met this girl in, in uh, Bangkok coming back through, I was trying to describe it to her because she was, she wanted to go to pie and try them. And, um, and I described it as, you know, like uh, we talk about the Etch-a-Sketch idea, but I mean, you know, you, you have an Etch-a-Sketch and I imagine it's, you know, right here. And then you draw a circle in your Etch-a-Sketch and that represents, uh, that represents reality. Okay. And then on that Etch-a-Sketch, you're drawing a line in the middle of that circle. And in the middle of that circle, that line is your perception of reality, your confidence in who you, who you are and where your place is in reality. And some people like coming into mushrooms will have just like, a, some people have a huge ass line. Like they already know who they are. They know their purpose or whatever. Some people have a really small dotted line. Some people have, you know, like there's many very, you know, variables of different people that have different lines in this perception sure. of reality. And what mushrooms did for me was they shook it like so I take my mushrooms and then imagine shaking that at your sketch a little bit and then now all the dots uh, on your line scatter and they kind of blur out a little bit 
and it's it's not like six hours later they all come together i mean you're still processing and recapitulating or bringing all that back again but when you do more times than not your line is stronger denser and you have a better idea of who you are and what your place is in this reality okay and so that was that was something that i kind of really came to in the i think i probably did mushrooms 10 times in those 40 days which is a lot um, you know, it's a lot to, to take back in. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. That's to me, that's too much. And, uh, and I dealt with it for six months. I mean, someone had told me when we were in pie, you know, you can, there comes to a point when you, when you've, when you've learned too much, you know what I mean? Like it's hard to integrate all that wisdom in one go, right? Like it's a process. Yeah. There's so much to grasp and so much information. You can easily be overwhelmed. Yes. So I, you know, if, if we're going to make suggestions, I would say, if you're going to do heroic doses of mushrooms, like I was doing <laughs> like five grams at a time, I would be doing it spaced out over three months or six months Yeah, where you're going on a journey. And then you have six months to reintegrate all of that information and then come back to feeling like yourself. And when you do it 10 times in 30 days, you're imagine just keep shaking that extra sketch to the point where you have like, there's no more line anymore. Yeah. So it took me six months to bring it back. I mean, I, I had a, I had an experience when I was in back in Bangkok, this is like three months after, after Pi, where I had gone to Cambodia and then come back through Bangkok. So I had this peritonsillar abscess and I'm in the doctor's office and I'm asking her to aspirate it. And she's like, are you sure? I said, yeah. And she goes, do you want any anesthetic? And I said, well, how much does it cost? I didn't have insurance at the time. And she goes, oh, it'd be $115 for the, you know, lidocaine. And I said, oh, let's just do it without it. And as she was pulling out the six inch needle, not that six inches was going inside me, but you know, she had to get access to it. So this is really long a needle. Uh, the anxiety started to overwhelm me and I'm looking at like, and then I had a, like a mushroom flashback. So all the cupboards were all like, like doing all this weird shit. You know what I mean? So like even three months after it, there was still pockets of active compound inside my liver that were being released in the state of anxiety. You know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> It, my point is, is when you do them that much, it takes a, a while to reassimilate it all. But now that I've kind of brought it all back together in this space of reality that I'm currently in, man, the knowledge that I've learned along the way and how to deal with my, myself and dealing with, you know, I, I feel like I'm more, more uh, perceptive to things that are going on around me. Yeah, definitely. Both inside my body and externally. Yeah. You're, you're tuning into, uh, by virtue of that disorientation of breaking down them barriers, you're accessing other frequencies, other perceptions. And like you say, that's all very new when you first start off. So it's really hard to integrate that. And that's why I think that it's always prudent to, you know, do it, the set and setting, make sure that's right. Ideally in a shamanic way. So it's respected as a medicine, you know, this is, we're probably both guilty of this in the past in, in maybe being a bit too hedonistic in the way we were doing it. You know, I think that that reverence for, for the plant medicines is, is something that uh, will pay dividends in, in, in that process. But with the same token, it's super important to break down those barriers, right? Because then you yeah, get to ask yourself, yeah, you get to ask yourself these existential questions and, and consciously build your identity, you know, rather than letting your will and your identity be something that was designed for you by virtue of the culture that you emerged out from. So there's right. not much, there's not much uh, free will in that identity compared to the identity where, yes, you were a little bit lost and, you know, it was disorientating, but you were the person co-creating and, 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 
rebuilding that understanding of reality, which I think is really necessary for this, this spiritual growth. Yeah, here's a good analogy. So like I'm driving a car, society is telling me where to drive it. It's almost on auto drive, but I'm, I got my hands on the wheel. I broke away from that GPS system. That's Western, Western lifestyle. And then I took mushrooms and I let go of the wheel and just let it, let it ride hedonistically. And now I take the mushrooms, you know, it, when I learned the shamanic like reasoning behind you know, any hallucinogen, you know, or psychedelic, uh, like I came home and I read about Carlos Castaneda and it made me not afraid, but like, wow, I respect this medicine now. And I'm not just going to go out there and do it, you know, in, in what's the word, uh, you know, for fun. It is fun. It's, but it's, that's not my purpose. I don't do it on a Saturday night to yeah, just. Yeah, it's not recreational. Yeah, it's not recreational. So now, now instead of taking my hands off the wheel, it's almost like I, I, I'm, I'm driving with this spirit, you know what I mean? Instead of just like, yeah, it's hard to describe, but yeah. So coming, coming back, you know, I, I had a better sense of who I was, um, you know, or at least disintegrating who I was before. And then was ready to mold myself into this new uh, person and being. Um, and that really revolved around education. I had an opportunity to be able to read a lot of books. So I went back to Western medicine and it, it, it was very difficult to reintegrate, reintegrate into that lifestyle because after I'd, what I had seen, it went against everything that we were doing in the hospital. I mean, yep. these people are really healthy and they're eating fresh vegetables and, you know, rice and, you know, all these like just local foods. And I go to the hospital and we're like giving people cheeseburgers and pizzas. And, and we have these insurers that we're feeding people. And when you look at the back of the fucking bottle, it's like number one ingredient is high fructose corn syrup, corn syrup. Yeah. Like, it's mind blowing. You can't practice this anymore. Are you kidding me? Like, this is wrong. <laughs> And, you know, and in so many ways, but so I started learning about, uh, um, first it started with shamanic stuff. So I read the Carlos Castaneda series, a lot of self-help books, empathy, things to help me reintegrate all these emotional energies that I was feeling the anxiety. There was a lot of anxiety. I'm not going to lie to you after doing that much, uh, psychedelics without the reintegration process. Like I, I did all of it two years post when I came home, brought it all back together. And so, uh, so now that I, you know, I've kind of got that under control. Now I started looking into, um, so I was taking care of this guy privately, um, uh, this retired judge and his daughter was the head of microbiology at Stanford. And we never really, I mean, we talked on a very much, a like you're, you're you know, have my, has my dad got his medications? He's gone for a walk, like the, the work relationship. Well, when he finally passed away, um, that would have been 2018, spring of 2018, she was talking about how the research they were doing on uh, on these microbes in the gut were showing that 75% of your serotonin, or it was higher than that, I want to say it was 90%, 90% of your serotonin in your in your body is produced by your bacteria in your gut. So I was like, whoa, that's that's you know, that's far out, you know, that's crazy to think about. Like, you know, when we say trust your gut, quite literally, that's that's science saying, yeah, there's 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 backings to that. And so, you know, that there's all these things that kind of culminate at the same time. So I got back before I had left a friend of mine who was, I always considered him like just this crazy wacko was talking about super nutrition for, for curing disease, Gerson therapy. And uh, that's super nutrition and detoxification. So basically you're, you're just juicing a bunch of, of uh, live enzymes. So like carrots and apples, and we could get into the, into all the science of that, but we're, we're here to talk about microbiome. Um, 
and then detoxification. So as your body's like cleaning all this out, then you, you got to poop it out. Well, I was doing research on it when I came home because I had seen how a really healthy ecosystem worked. And I'm like, wow, maybe he's right. And uh, so I started reading into it. And then I was reading about how it wasn't as effective anymore. And that got me into, okay, well, how close, because I saw the importance of living in the ecosystem that you're eating from, how close are these centers that are doing this therapy from the farms that are growing the food, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's one down in Mexico. I can't, it's the Gerson Institutes in Mexico. There's another one too, the Baja Clinic. And so I was reading about the Baja Clinic and about how they don't let their produce sit for more than three days. I'm like, okay, that's good. But it'd be better if like they were on the farm. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of farm are they on? You know, like what, what are the practices of the farm? And so then I started looking at uh, that got me into agriculture and then agriculture brought me into soil sciences and then soil sciences brought me into mycology. And that all happened over a series of podcasts, over a, a bunch of different books. I listened to a podcast by a guy named on my way back home to Minnesota. So Irv, my patient passed away in 2018. My dad got cancer at the same time, which is just nuts because uh, you know, I was looking for an out of San Francisco to get, get out of there. But I wanted to wait for my patient to pass away because I don't know, you just develop a relationship and, uh, and I went home for my dad's oncology appointment and that week Irv had a massive stroke and the next week he was dead. And, you know, I went home, you know, a couple of days later. So I was like the universe or God being like, okay, Gary, you know, you're looking for an out here. It is. And, um, so in that, in that transition with his daughter telling me about the microbiology of the, of the, the, you know, the, the large intestine producing all these different, um, neurotransmitters, uh, that got me looking at microbiome. Uh, I can't remember who turned me on to this, Will Bolshevitz. He's the, the gut health MD. He's wrote a book called Fiber Field. I highly recommend it if anybody's uh, looking for something to read that's pretty easy to digest. Um, but he talked about uh, just all these different things. So this guy's, I think, went to Duke University. He was a scholar. So he was in research. And then the things that he was researching were, were making him be like, what, you know, like I need to get out of this classroom environment and get more into practice because this is turning healthcare on its head. And um, he talked about, he talked about, uh, um, so for example, something he talked about with, with the in gestational mother, right? Like a baby is in the, is in the womb and uh, there's two gifts that mom gives her baby. So there's microbiome in every single orifice of your body. Your skin has its own microbiome, your eyeballs, your lids, your mouth, your nostrils, you know, your hair, everything has microbes on it. And that's, what's so interesting about this whole COVID-19 pandemic thing is that like, we've just, you know, I think there's 10 to the 31 power of viruses on this planet, 10 with 31 zeros behind it. And we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater because we're trying to get rid of just fucking one. You know, we're spraying every surface down with disinfectants where, and we don't realize how vital this microbiome is to our survival, right? So we look at like different surface areas of the body. Sorry, I'm kind of getting off track with the whole woman thing, but, or with the gestational mother, but we look at like the largest surface area uh, of our body with exposure to the outside world. What do you think that is? Skin. Uh, 1.6 square meters. You'd think it would be the skin, right? Uh, it's not, it's actually the intestinal tract. And that starts in your nostrils, goes all the way to your rectum with a surface area of two tennis courts that has a single cell layer thick that has exposure to the outside world. So like the cellophane, half the thickness of a human hair is what separates you like on a, on a, a wall that's half the thickness of a human hair is what separates you from the outside world. Like, wow, engineering, like that is a horrible way to engineer something unless we're engineered to live in symbiosis with that which is around us. 
So when we start destroying ecosystems, we destroy the very life that supplies us, right? Because we're susceptible to what's going on in that ecosystem. So going back to the, sorry, I mean, sidetracked, going back to the gestational mother, uh, she's got all these different microbiome uh, um, communities living inside of her. And at 38 weeks of pregnancy, her microbiome that is inside of her a large intestine is mimicked inside of her uterus or her uh, vaginal canal, excuse me. And science can't explain why it happens, but all of a sudden the populations move from this high volume of this type of bacteria to like more of the GI system. Right. And the reason why that is, is that's mom inoculating baby, getting ready to inoculate baby, which baby normally passes through the vaginal canal. Mom is getting ready to inoculate her baby with all of her genetic data of her microbiome, right? So that's the first gift a mom gives baby. As it passes through the vaginal canal, it's being inoculated with mom's microbiome from her large intestine. The second gift mom gives baby is through breast milk, okay? Breast milk has all these amazing antigens and all these things that are great for immune function, but what they don't, what he was talking about, Will Bolshevitz, was something called HMOs, human milk oligosaccharides. There's over a hundred of them in breast milk and they have no nutritional value for the baby itself. HMOs are only foods for the, the, the growing microbiome. So that's actually food for the microbiome to, to really uh, bolster itself into a proper running uh, immune system. Like, so I, I can't remember how many different organisms are, it's, it's absurd. It's like a quadrillion different organisms, not or different organisms, a different, uh, a number of organisms. I think there's like 10,000 different species of bacteria that live inside your gut. It's two, two thirds of the cells, right? It's something like that. The ratio of the, of the microorganisms that are in the human body, two thirds, and then one third is, is actually human cells. So the major, yeah. overwhelming majority of your body is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is, is microorganisms. On a cellular level, yes, yes. Yeah. And with what you've said there, like with that birthing process if you're deficient in those two respects either say for example i was a cesarean section cesarean section so i wasn't uh, given that benefit um through through the natural pregnancy so am i right in saying that you would have a may maybe a potential lack of diversity within your microbiome in your gut by virtue of that yes but that that's a deficiency that's not difficult to overcome i myself was also a cesarean and I myself was also bottle fed, not breastfed. Right, so okay. I didn't get either of them. But there is, uh, a, and we can get into a lot of other things that, that will set you back as well. Uh, taking antibiotics, of course, of antibiotics in your first two years of life is like the worst thing to do for a child, okay? Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're not killing all of their biology, but you're killing a large swath of, you know, gram positive or gram negative, or depending on what the infection is, whether it's strap or whatever it is or an ear infection, you know, that back when I was growing up, that was the first thing doctors reached for. It was like, oh, here, take some penicillin K, 5K, you know, whatever. And um, so it's, it's gonna set you back. But again, we are living in a living ecosystem. So the more we engage with that living ecosystem, the more microbiome we're gonna build. So even though I didn't pass through my mom's vaginal cavity, and even though I didn't eat the HMOs out of her bre breast milk to feed that microbiome, I was still getting it from other sources. But I would argue, yes. That's the reason why I perpetually have a difficult time losing weight. And, you know, I mean, all these different things, because from a very young age, I was in a state of dysbiosis where I, I didn't have a balanced, uh, uh, you know, microbiome. 
well, this will probably come in come into time into uh, something we'll, we'll talk about as well is this regenerative process of of being human and working with the land, right? So yes, you may be at a slight disadvantage. Um, yeah. But, there are ways to build it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's it's definitely not. A, uh, shouldn't be a cry for some sort of defeatism that it can't be be rectified. Nope. So, you, and, you said in the past that um, to me that the, the gut is not the second brain. It's it's the first brain. Yeah. What what do you mean by that? Uh, I mean, we talk about it on an evolutionary basis. I I would say. I mean, if we if we came from you know, a single cell organism to a multi-cell organism, I would say that the, the gut was probably the first thing to establish itself. You know, I mean, you look at bacteria in general, it looks like we came from a mix of fungi and bacteria. Uh, the bacteria itself will encapsulate its food process and then break it down with enzymes and then digest the things and then spew it out or, or eat the whole thing. I mean, that's very much how we function, mm -hmm. right? We ingest something, we break it down, and then we shit out what we don't need, right? So I, I think that, you know, we, we talk about it being the second brain. I say it's the first brain because from an evolutionary standpoint, that is more the primary. And the secondary being we, we develop to a point of such... Uh, uh, like cognitive functions. Yeah. And I would say that probably had something to do with the mushrooms, you know what I mean? I Because you look at a lot of different mushrooms that are amazing for, for neurogenesis, the lion's mane, the psilocybin that open up all these neural structures in your brain and help you to uh, uh, make new patterns, make new, uh, new pathways, neurological pathways. And, and all these different things where, yeah. So I, I would say that I would say that the that the brain is more of a, a CPU. It's a processing chip for your energy center, which is in your gut, being driven by the bacteria, the very we are farmers of ourselves. What do you, you mean by that? Choice, you have the choice to grow what you want to grow inside of you. Meaning there is uh, just a giant landscape that's two tennis courts in size. And you have the choice to put what you want inside your body, the food that will feed what you want to grow. So you can choose to feed Skittle-loving bacteria that are going to cause a lot of different, you know, myriad of problems because there's no complexity to Skittles or Starbursts or high chews or whatever, whatever your choice is. Or you can feed yourself a diversity of food that comes from a diversity of soil systems that's, gonna, that's going to reciprocate and give you a diversity of biology that live inside you. That diversity is where immunity comes from, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think diversity is the key word there, right? Because that extrapolates from the micro to the macro. So maybe we could dive into why the diversity is important in the microbiome uh, but more broadly i think it's important to emphasize the 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 importance in the in the soil right because it's right. yes the food that we're eating is nutrition and that is feeding us but it's it's that's not really where the nutrition is coming from right it's coming from the soil right exactly and even even going farther out into a social aspect and talking about diversity there the very example of us traveling to a third, a third world country is giving us a diversity of cultural systems that's now exactly. influencing us and giving us new ideas exactly and that that goes going back down to micro you know like the food that we're eating the very food we're eating there is in, we're ingesting that has a ton of different microbes in it and these microbes like you said don't come from the actual plant i mean they do the, the plant is a, is, is a pathway. It's a carrier. It's a vessel. Like Hippocrates said, let food be their medicine and medicine be their food. I think he got it half right. I think it's soil. That's the medicine. Food is just a delivery system. Yeah. So 
you know, there's all these kicks about, oh, we got to eat kale. We got to eat all these superfoods. And there's so much convolution in the picture of health in the United States. And I, I hate to say that it's uh, malfeasant, maleficent, malfeasance, malfeasance, but God, it certainly fucking feels like it. Like there's all this confusion, like to find the right pathway, really, it comes down to, you just need to grow your own food because kale, non-organically grown kale is some of the most fucking pesticide rich food that you can buy here in the States that'll actually give you inflammatory uh, issues. So like, you know, you, you go to women's health or whatever, and they're like, oh, have a kale salad once a day. Well, they don't tell you to eat organic ones. I mean, maybe they are now. Well, that's the, that's the twisted nature of our reality is that <laughs> or, or being organic is a marketing ploy, which is that should be the fucking default, right? Like, it should be the default that's, network. That's the <sighs> pathology and the sickness we live in is that yeah. organic is, is not the default anymore because for decades now we've had just the extermination of the microbiome that lives in, in the soil. And, and it's just an all right, all out war really on the soil and these monocultures and, and these, this mass industrialization of, uh, yeah. of our food. And, and it's so institutionalized now to the point where I can understand your frustration learning about all this because it's like, how do we dial this down? You know, like yeah. it seems like such a behemoth, this, this yeah. food industry, which is, which is, let's be honest, it's co-opted the entire system. It, it's, it's unavoidable. I mean, I'm, I'm very conscious of it now in a lot of products I see and you just start reading the ingredients of things. And like you said, with the corn syrup and the glucose syrup and, and you start seeing it everywhere. And it's like, yeah what is this doing in my food this the it's it's poison you know let's be yeah. let's be honest about this so yeah. how maybe you could speak to the the process that's that's been underway these decades to strip the the soil yeah. this microbiome and the impacts on on health 100 percent. you know there's i'll start with this what if i told you that we could fix climate change all the social political problems the black lives matter the the the, the problems in access I believe that those problems stem from uh, from difficulty in access to healthy ecosystems. You know, like our, our minority uh, populations live in these underserved communities and inner cities that lack diversity of life. Okay, and that passes on like just like with the mom passing on to the baby, whether it's cesarean, whether it's natural. If mom doesn't have a good microbiome, the baby doesn't get good microbiome, and it never will as long as it's living in that environment. Okay, we could solve that. We could solve poverty. We could solve. Um, uh, the healthcare system, we could solve global hunger, all with one fucking thing, soil. If we fixed our soil systems, we would solve all those issues like really fucking quickly. So like, why aren't we talking about it, right? I mean, we are, we're, we're talking about it. A yeah. lot of other people are talking about it, but, but when will this be on mainstream media? Yeah, exactly. That's a big thing, right? That I'm always questionable with the climate change narrative is they don't talk about desertification and sequestering yeah. carbon in the soil. Yeah. It's like, if you're really honest about this, CO2 is so harmful for the earth, then yeah. why are you not mentioning this? And is there an ulterior motive there? That's naturally where my mind goes because this yeah. is really quite clear how uh, prevalent this issue is of, of decarbonating the, the soil. Right. And I, I really, I really do think that like we talked last time about the aspect of empathy, apathy, and then, and then whatever the angry one is and to, to fix the solution, we need to give 
the mainstream apathy and just start something new that people mm -hmm. will follow, right? That's how the change is going to happen. But going back into the soil, like you asked, um, you know, the history of soil propagation, if you want to go back to like the, the Garden of Eden, where we, we ate from the tree of knowledge, I believe that had something to do with, with uh, divine femininity and like understanding how to, to sow the seeds and to grow and cultivate and, and to start controlling ecosystems so that way we could prop, you know, prosper. So like we could control our own population and grow. I think that's where our downfall was. And be, the reason why I say that is because that's, a, you know, where, where we started to invent the plow is really where we started to just decimate the earth. And the plow was a, a tool that we used to destroy soil systems in the name of propagation of, of human beings. You know, and it, it, what's so funny is, is as we've come 2000 years since, you know, roughly 4,000, however long ago that was, uh, we've learned that it's, it, there's, there's other ways to do it that are regenerative, that are rebuilding into the soil instead of destroying it. So the, the problem with the plow is that when you, when, you, when you run a plow through, a, it's not always awful, but you definitely won't, don't want to do it every season like they're doing it around here. And, and they're not even doing it that much around here anymore because they're starting to understand that like, wow, I had seven feet of, of topsoil 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and now we only have, you know, 20 inches. So, you know, it's, we're not stupid. It's just what other ways do we have? And now we're starting to, to bring those out in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why plowing is bad is because you're ripping up soil structure. And the most important part of that soil structure for a really, really healthy soil structure is, is uh, the mycelium. So mycelium is the living network of fungi. And there's many different species, uh, you know, but mycorrhizae fungi is probably the most pivotal and most important in a agricultural ecosystem. Myco meaning fungi uh, uh, and rhizo meaning the rhizome, meaning the, the root structure of your plant, whether that be a tree, whether that be, a, you know, there's two different types. We can go into that too. Endo and ecto. Endo meaning the, the mycelium actually penetrates the root structure and is like tapped in like a little fiber, fiber optic network. Ecto is outside and they have like almost like a synapse where it's almost touching and it's just sharing information. Ecto is primarily seen in trees and endo is primarily seen in plants. So like smaller ecosystem, smaller, smaller uh, flora. And so anyway, so as we rip up that, that, uh, that network with plowing, it will grow back. But if we do it year after year after year after year, it, it, it takes its toll and it doesn't have the resiliency to grow back. And what compounded that was in the 1950s when we started using uh, uh, organic fertilizers, not organic fertilizers, fertilizers. So we were moving out of this World War II. We had this huge production of oil, right? To fuel all the jets to, or not jets, but the airplanes and the, and the, the cargo and, and the tanks that all of a sudden, you know, oh, we don't, we don't, we don't have a place to sell this anymore. And that's where the, the green revolution started. Like previous to that, what's crazy is we had uh, the, the victory gardens, which is a, just a real step in the right direction. That was where we were encouraging all U.S. citizens to grow their own food because we may be in food shortages. So there was a huge, like, I feel like COVID is almost like a repeat of that, where a lot of people went back to like, I got to stay home. I got to, you know, like, what can I do? I'll start growing my own food. And like, it was a great thing that happened for us. But right after the World War II ended, we came out with this whole green revolution where it was like, let's take all of these, uh, this excess of, of, of oil and then break it down into, you know, three things, nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, you know, 
you look at the soil cycle in school. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember school soil sciences or not, but it talked about the soil, the soil cycles. And like the three main things they talked about were nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. And then like, oh, there's, there's 71 other different trace elements that we don't really understand how they work. They're there in a very small amount, but the main thing is this NPK, right? right? Well, as we move forward, I, I really hope they're not still not teaching that because all those 71 trace elements, whether they're in a tiny ass little quantity or not, are a very pivotal and driving force of what's going on in your soil. And that's the chemistry aspect of it. What you need to understand is that the biology drives that chemistry. So instead of us as man coming from the outside and saying, well, we can you know, feed your plants in, in essence, cotton candy and make them have a ton of energy and really grow really fast, fast. but the resiliency and the diversity of the biology of that plant is, is no longer there because it's like the plant grows up in an environment in nature where this mycorrhizae, it, when, the, when a seed germinates, it sends out these little uh, chemical messengers that say, help, help, we need help. And if there's a mycorrhizae fungi, I think within like four centimeters or something like that, it will read that chemical signal and then grow into that little uh, rhizome. If that doesn't happen initially, it's not to say that it can never happen, but it's if that plant gets started on its own without that help, it'll be like, I don't need your help. You know what I mean? Mm. And so when, when we grow plants without that, that, without that mycorrhizae, because we plow and then we spray chemicals like pesticides, this isn't, this isn't where we're at yet, but it'll come. Uh, you know, we're just talking about the NPK. At first, we just started spraying NPK and this plant would grow without the need of this relationship. And so then it developed a, a, a type of plant where we're like, oh, we don't really need this relationship. Well, what is beneficial in this relationship to this little seedling and this little, uh, in this little rhizome is that it, it provides a multitude of, 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 of benefits. This fungi, this fungi provides mechanical protection from things like nematodes. So as uh, you know, your root structure is maybe like this long, let's say it looks like, you know, this, you know, it's just like your tap roots coming down and it's pretty big. It's pretty macro. Your, your, your uh, mycelium are going to be like, like, can you see this? Your mycelium are going to be like even smaller than this little black piece. And they're going to be just totally wrapped around that thing. So it's providing mechanical protection from things like nematodes, right? Because they can't even actually get to the root structure anymore because it's so, you know, compounded with, with mycelium. Sorry, I put that away. I need to keep my thing charged. But it also provides uh, chemical protection as well. So the plant through photosynthesis is taking in the sun's energy, transferring that into, a, into plant sugars, okay, through photosynthesis. And then it's feeding 10 to 15% of those plant sugars down to the root structure and feeding that my mycorrhizae fungi. So that's, that's the symbiotic relationship. The plant is feeding the, the, the mycorrhizae fungi 10 to 15% of its photosynthesis production. And in exchange, when something uh, is, is happening to the plant, it's so for example, another way that it protects it. So let's say the, the leaf gets bit by a, a potato bug or some, you know, something that it, ah, there's stress. There's a chemical signal that's sent down to the root structure that says, help, help, help. And the, the mycorrhizae fungi, because it wants to survive is like, here, let me dial up this amazing little potion concoction and sends it back up through the roots. And now that, 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 uh, that leaf is bitter. And so when that potato bug bites it, it's like, oh, that, that's not very good. I, I don't want to eat wow. any more of that. And what's amazing is, is if, if you have a large enough network 
of this mycorrhizae fungi that's not just at this plant, but it's on all of your plants in a field, all of them at the same time are going to have that same chemical messenger that goes to them so that that bug jumps to the next plant and it's the same bitter. Wow, that's pretty mind-blowing. And That's like a biodefense, yeah. Yeah, not, not to go off on a little tangent, but I do think it's what you're saying is analogous on the macro level, right? Like you've got this uh, approach to food and growing organic food to which is uh, relevant in the same way that we treat healthcare because you're not looking at the interrelated whole and all the connected parts that make it the way it is and you're instead isolating this thing oh we're gonna grow it and at such a fast rate that we're going to ignore the process within that holistic system it you know you know you could say the same about health and, and prescription drugs right like you're ignoring yeah. the fact the body is a is a holistic uh, yeah. being and you're gonna do this guided missile on this one particular thing and be like oh yeah. no the rest are side effects but yeah. there's no such thing as side effects there's just there's just direct effects the same with growing yeah. vegetables right like yeah. there's there's just direct effects of disregarding the role of the fungi yeah. in the soil sure Sure. So, I mean, I completely agree with you, but moving, moving even farther into that, that, that mycorrhizae interaction also gives you a thousand fold. So for every meter of, of root, you have a thousand meters of mycorrhizae fungi. So now imagine the nutrient delivery. When we talked about the bacteria having the ability to encapsulate um, whatever, break it down, eat it energy, and then, and then disperse it and share it with the soil systems. The reason why a fungally based so a soil system is like 500% more productive than just a bacteria uh, based soil system is I believe because of that. So bacteria encapsulate it. And that takes a lot of time to get to eat it, break it down and spit it back out. Mycelium, they actually are, they're moving through the soil system and as they come across an energy source, they actually dial up from the inside of themselves a sweat that they sweat out and it breaks something down externally. And now those nutrients are just available in the soil system. They accept what they need and put into themselves, which they can share with anything that's in that network, but also it makes it more bioavailable in the soil system because it's just broken down sitting there. So other things can come up and snap it up. And so you're increasing by a thousand fold your water retention capabilities, right? your nutrient delivery capabilities, and you have chemical defense, you have mechanical defense. These are like the four pivotal things in a fungal-based soil system, right? And so that's why, you know, the garden that I grow is a fungal-based soil system because of the resiliency that it provides. Do you, you, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. I think that's a nice segue into, into your communal garden because I'd like to know how... Um, mycelium as that blueprint as that scaffolding that exists within the soil is obviously incredibly important because it's it is arbitrage in nutrition between the plants right like you perfectly described okay. that defensive mechanism is breaking things down for absorption rates water retention there's so many so many benefits there so are you are you with your communal garden that you're that you're managing do you when you were setting it up what did that look like did you have to inject the soil with certain uh, properties or is it just about sort of encouraging it to grow in the right direction so just before we go there which is going to tie together the way that you build your microbiome on the inside right 
is by eating fiber, which hence the, hence the book Fiber Fueled, right? Because fiber is what drives the biology to procreate. That's what they eat, dietary, unsoluble dietary fiber. So the things that come from whole foods, whether you're eating celery, whether you're eating an apple, whether you're eating potatoes, you know, minimally, not like fucking roasted all day, but like, you know, cooked um, or things that are raw. Uh, you're actually, you're, you're, you're eating all these live enzymes in that is, especially if it's locally grown by you in your ecosystem, it's going to be more bioavailable to you and you have total control over that ecosystem. So going to this garden, which I'm growing food and eating that when I eat that I'm eating the microbes of my soil system that are reseeding my microbiome. And then I'm also feeding it the fiber to proliferate. Okay. Mm -hmm. The same concept applies to the garden itself in 2019. I think it was at the start of the pandemic or maybe it was 20. I can't remember. Two years ago, I've only ran the garden tw two years. So 21, 20. So yeah, it would have been the beginning of 2020 when this whole pandemic started. And there was a scare of, uh, in my region of where I live, it's very meat-based because we're in a cold climate, right? If I lived in Costa Rica or Ecuador or someplace where there is complete climate control all year round, we would grow enough produce to survive on that. And I think that's why you see that in Southeast Asia and these countries where it's warm all the time, because like, we don't need to have animals, we can survive on, and you're more resilient and healthier. Like, I think, you know, not to go on too far of a tangent on health, but like the ketogenic process or pathway, which everyone's all about oh, ketogenic diet. Like, I think ketogenesis, the body evolved to, to, to develop ketogenesis in the absence of that flora. So as we started to get the winter, when people migrated to cold climates, we developed a ketogenic pathway so that we could survive by eating animals, eating a protein rich diet, but not sustained. Like that's not a sustainable diet. Like, yes, it will shock your body in a good way, but it's not something you should continually do. I think it's something you can do for three, four months tops and then go back to, you know, it's follow the seasons, eat with the seasons. Right. So, so sorry to go on that tangent, but no, like no, going, no, back, no problem. Going, back, going back to the garden, uh, when I first started this garden, uh, in 2020, our meat packing plants were shutting down. So like we were looking at uh, a loss of, of food for my community, right? Like my community majority eats meat. Like they have, they have potatoes and other crap, but like, I'm trying to increase awareness on microbiome. I'm trying to increase awareness on eating whole foods and how that relates to microbiome and, and how your soil system ties in with the nature of the ecosystem and your health, right? So I'm trying to teach all of these things all at the same time to my community. And uh, Zach Bush, who's a huge influence on my life, um, met the guy, just Jesus, what an awesome individual. Um, yeah, I, I don't know a better plug. Zach Bush, MD, just check him out. But um, I had a conference with him. It was me and him were talking. And I was talking about this idea. When I met him out in California at the summit, I was talking about this huge called Revitalize. That's my nonprofit organization work. Talking about eliminating chemicals from our, uh, from our community, like banning them, like glyphosate, for example. We can get into the whole conversation about glyphosate. That's a massive <laughs> rabbit hole in itself. Huge right? rabbit hole, right? Yeah. I'd rather not even get into it because yeah. let's just stop fucking using it, right? We yeah. don't need to talk about how awful it is and how it's killing everybody and causing cancer and autism and all these problems. Like, just forget about it. Apathy. Yeah. No more. So we were talking about all that and banning it from our local communities. I talked about putting a, a, a greenhouse at our school about a, a because the pandemic was was coming, right, or, or was here, ways that we could help, like I had ideas about ways that we could uh, 
using local tree trimming services to inoculate all the tree, tree, tree clippings and then inoculate them so we could grow food in emergency situations with mushrooms. Um, growing a community garden. And at the time I was talking to Zach, I had all my seedlings sitting out right in front of me here with the lights and the humidification system. And we were talking and he goes, Gary, all these things you want to do, you want to change the world in your small 3000 person community. He, you know, when we talked to, at the summit, he goes, this is in California. He told me, I want to see, I told him my idea. He goes, that's an awesome idea. He goes, I want to see how you do with it. And if you do well, I want to bring your idea to other communities along the, the Mississippi. So that's cool because it ties in with the shaman that the, the seer that I saw in Bali talking about the river and all the stones and we can go into that conversation oh, wow, too. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so I come home and I'm, and I'm talking to Zach, this is six months after I saw him at the summit and I'm talking to him on the phone and, and, and he goes to me, he goes, Gary, he goes, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from this uh, uh, venture capitalist. He took me out to lunch and he goes, okay, Zach, I want to hear all your ideas. And he goes, I had Venn diagrams on Venn diagrams on Venn diagrams about all these things I wanted to do and how they all tied together. He goes, Barry, me and you, our minds are fucking identical. Like we work the same way. You have all these different ideas that you want to do. He goes, uh, and I sat there and this guy listened to me for like, what, three hours, talk about all these different things. Very patient. And at the end of it, he goes, Zach, I would love for you to do just one of those really well. <laughs> And, and so what Zach was trying to tell me was like, focus on one thing at a time. And he goes, and I think you have the answer sitting right in front of you. The way that you're going to teach people all about all these things is, is the very source that's sitting in front of you, that, that all those seedlings, that garden is going to be your epicenter to bring all these ideas together. So that's why I started the garden. Um, you know, that's, that's, we moved down a rabbit hole of, of, a, of a, a mushroom farm. I mean, the revitalizes to help communities, you know, regenerate, revitalize. And then moving from there, it will be to, to acquire farmland, to start a new healthcare system, and then to eventually start a new affordable insurance program, which will then, that's how we're going to change the world. Like that's how this whole thing's going to, like I had that vision in 2017 about how it's all going to come together. And I started bawling because the seer back in Bali told me in 2017, I have an idea in 2022, it's going to become a reality. Well, here we are, right? 2022. So it's put up or show up. So this garden got started in the, in the beginning of 2020 and uh you know i didn't have a permission permission from the city but it was it, we were in such a state of fucking chaos with the pandemic like the local city you couldn't go down to city hall you couldn't you know you couldn't go into the offices yeah. you try to call them their phones are off the hook basically their emails they're not answering emails and so there was a piece of land that they had said in a in a city hall council a city council meeting that said oh you know gary you can use this piece of land but we need a we need a uh, proposal well I didn't know that because I wasn't at that first meeting with other people there. And so I'm like, okay, I sent him the proposal. I just didn't go to a council meeting for it. So I said, you know, this is the piece I want to use. I want to, I want to plow it because you need, it was all grass. So it needed to be turned over. Right. So that, that's why I say it's not awful to do it. You just need to do it once. And like, that's it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I plowed it. I said, I want to plow it. Then I want to prep it. Then I want to do, and then I want to plant. And I gave him all the dates. No one answered me for like a month. So I call think my this would be like high priority, right? You would fucking think so. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, our meat processing plants are closing down. They're talking about, you know, I was just like, fuck. Like I wanted to start a small community garden for children in a parking lot with like raised beds, like something real small to start off with. And then when the pandemic hit, it was like, shit, we need to put up right now. Yeah. And so, you know, it was, it must've been April. And I called my buddy, Mike, and I said, Mike, I'm ready for you to come plow. Just plow it. Let's do it. 
So he comes down and it wasn't 45 minutes after he finished with this. Yeah, we were in downtown, dude. He just fucking just ripping, ripping soil <laughs> off. And uh, 45 minutes later, I get a call from the city city administrator. What the fuck do you think you're doing? Are you kidding me? I'm like, bro, I emailed you. You didn't answer. Like, what do you, you know? And so there was a setback. There was a setback with that. You know, I mean, obviously it was an ask for, ask for forgiveness, not permission situation. Which <laughs> sent me back a year, but now my community is on my side because they see that I'm not doing it for money. I'm not doing it for notoriety. Like I'm not a fucking guy that's like, Hey, it's me. Hey, come pay attention to me. You know, people I'm what I'm, this is very antithesis for me to even say this, but I'm a humble guy. You know what I mean? Like I, someone says, Oh, great job, Gary. I'm just like, you know, like that's my answer. Like, let's not talk about it. Let's move on. Let's do something else. You know I mean? Like that's, that's, that's just how I am. So I think once the city kind of understood that they let their egos go a little bit, cause you know, it's, it's, they got voted into this position to make these decisions. So when you just bypass them, it's kind of like, I understand why they were upset, you know, but at the same time it needed. Yeah, to of course. So and it happened. Now your intentions there, right? Like you are doing it for yeah. the community, you know, this should be yeah. their top priority in these times, yeah. you know, with the yep. insecurity, the food insecurity that's already there. Like yeah. you were one step ahead of them, if anything. Yeah. And so when I, when I got to the emergency meeting, say, oh, you got to stop everything before we, before you start, you got to get approval. Oh, okay. So I went through the hoops and went to the meeting and, and then they gave me approval. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, this thing's got to be so beautiful because they hate me so much right now. Like if, if it's not just like drop dead gorgeous, it's going to get shut down. And so I did an awesome design, like a geometric pattern from above. It looks like a giant cross with like with the, it almost looks like a Celtic cross, you know, you have the sun behind the cross and then uh, row is patterned as well. And so what I did was I dug up uh, the, the pathways I dug up and then added that soil to the tops of my garden beds. Now, if I would have been really smart, what I would have done, and I wasn't educated at the time enough because this is my first year ever gardening, right? Yeah, sure, you're going to learn like, from these mistakes. Jumping in, exactly, is I would have put uh, uh, logs down first on my garden beds and then covered them up because the logs, you know, the Hugo Coulter aspect of like this German style where you start with a big biomass. So that's like, that's like your big logs. And then you put, you know, a smaller, your branches, and then you put your straw and then you put your compost and then you put your soil on top of that. And all of that's going to break everything down. And you're going to create this extremely biologically rich soil system. What I did instead was I dug just the dirt and then added the dirt to the top. Okay. Now, that's not bad. It's just, it's going to take longer to get to that Hugo culture style. But what I did in the interim is in those, in those trenches that I dug out those furrows, it's going to help a with, uh, with uh, runoff because now you're creating this place where water can go as opposed to just wiping out all your, you know, your topsoil. Right. Um, but I put wood chips in it. And now when you asked if I injected something into my soil system, I didn't inject anything. What I did was I, I, I bought inoculants of like, you know, like, uh, like a big chunk of mycelium of like three different species. There was uh, King's Trifoia, Trifoia rugulosata. Uh, uh, there was almond bluets. I can't remember the, the Latin name of that one. And then now over the course, since I've started my own mushroom farm, I've been adding my own. And so what I do is I pull the wood chips aside, like make a stream down the middle and then just sprinkle all that inoculant in there. And so now I have this whole, Strophoria rigolosata is a type of mushroom that breaks down wood chips 
and then it's called the, it's it's a it's a garden uh, they call it the garden giant but it's a it's a great garden composter so you put uh, fiber into your system just like you do with your body and you're feeding the biology of the soil in this particular case the higher fibrous things are being broken down by mycelium yeah and smaller stuff like you know plant matter is being broken down by bacteria so to have a really efficient soil system that's going to be able to create a, create a lot of nutrients you got to have fungus there and so i inoculated these wood chips with the fungus and then over the course of nine months that became fully inoculized or inoculated. So you, you pull the wood chips now and there's mycelium growing through the whole fucking thing. And so now every season, what I do to add compost to my system, because it's such, it's 90 foot by 70 foot. The, the way that I compost my garden is at the end of the season, I take all those wood chips and then rake them up on top of my, uh, of my beds. So all those wood chips are being broken down by the mycelium are partially broken down while they overwinter. So in the, in the fall, I'll rake all those wood chips up and it's almost soil by, by then already. And then I plant a cover crop, which is something that'll, that'll die off over the winter. And that's like a green fertilizer. So what it's going to do is it's going to maintain a soil structure by growing roots through it. Okay. So it's not going to allow the whatever runoff wash, heavy rains to wash all that compost off the top. So it's going to grow. It's going to continue to sequester carbon dioxide from our atmosphere all the way into the late months of November before it finally dies off with our first snowfall. And then once, once it dies off, this tree plant matter up here is going to fall over and it's going to digest. And these roots will digest as well and they'll feed the soil. So in the spring, I'm, I'm composting in place by adding that, that, uh, those wood chips with the mycelium in it. And then I'm adding a green manure with the plants that I'm growing that die off and then mix into the soil. So that way in the springtime, all I got to do is just boom, 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 plant again. And I get, and then I get new, I get new wood chips delivered by Asplin, which is a company that chops, does, does tree trimming services and they just drop off wood chips like for free. So I'm, I'm taking compost in the form of wood chips along with, all the stuff from the mushroom farm too that I'm that I started, all the the spent mycelium blocks that all gets added to the compost. So all that's feeding the garden. So you see, I have all these different things going on, but they're all in one circle. Yeah, no, it's beautiful, and I've not. Uh, so I've got exposure to that that composting process. But what's really interesting with you is the way you've integrated the mycelium into it to to fast track that process of breaking down the wood chips. Because I was aware that wood chips are obviously good for. Uh, nutrients but so are you are you creating a, a separate compost with the mycelium and the wood chips and then once that's been through the process of decomposing that's when you're putting it on top of the soil is that right the beauty of it no it's right in place so it's the oh, it's already there so you don't have to move it i do have to move it but it's the pathways just adjacent to the beds uh, so all the pathways going through the garden are all wood chips that have been breaking down throughout the year at the end of the year, I just rake them up onto the beds. Oh, I so see I the chips are actually on the pathways. Okay. Yeah. All I have to do is just rake it up. And it's a lot less time than going back to the compost pile, putting it in my... Yeah, definitely. You know. wow. I still add that too, because that's even more rich, right? Because that's like more stuff. It's like food that's been breaking down and other plants. And I mix all that up. That's another type of compost that I also add. Uh, okay. But it's, you know what I mean? I, it's, it's, it's all, it's, if you can just feed the shit out of your land with fiber, however you get it, you know, this is the thing that just drives me insane is people cut their lawns, which lawns already don't make sense because it's a monoculture. And then you end up with all these weeds in it because mother nature is trying to diversify the land that you're 
monoculturing. Yeah. And then we cut all this grass clippings off. And what do we do? We bag it. We bring it somewhere else. Like, what the fuck? That's fiber. Feed your land. Like, you're, oh, it's, it's, it drives me nuts. You like, if do you a, all, sorry, go on. If we all gardened our land, like, the, the world would be a completely different place. Yeah, definitely. It's, we, we're not in this permaculture mindset, though, are we? We, it, uh, yeah. we, we see things as waste and even, even the word weeds, you know, it's, it's a term for something growing that we don't want it growing there. But really, you can right. eat them. They, yeah. get, they, they have nutritional value. Uh, they yeah. have medicinal uh, qualities. Yeah, yeah we talked exactly. About exactly. Yeah. And we've, this one word has demonized these things just because yeah. they're inconvenient. And yeah. uh, I, it goes to what we were speaking about at the beginning. You know, we've sacrificed a lot of health for convenience. Right. You know, I, I can't remember what the name of the doctor was. She's a soil scientist. Um, you know, that, that sucks. I don't remember her name. But she was talking about how weeds were like the primary process in Mother Nature trying to rebuild herself. So she brings in weeds into a monoculture area, something that can tap down into a really broken soil structure and just hold ground until a higher life form of plant can come and, and push it out. Mm-hmm. So it's like weeds are a beginning process of a dying. Yes. Yeah. It's like a rebirth. Right. Exactly. You know, you leave an area long enough in a, in a, if it's got a good water structure, a, a good water cycle, if there's a, if there's no water cycle, then you end up with desertification, which we could travel down that pathway too, talking about ways to rebuild desertified soil systems using animals. Uh, maybe that's a, maybe that's a conversation for another time, but um you know, so yeah, the, the, the garden, and you want to get into this living liquid uh, idea too. That, that, yeah, definitely. Uh, Just elaborate on, is that where, is that where the idea came from? Because you were sort of uh, integrating mycelium into this process and, and you have clearly a strong understanding of, of the range of benefits that has. So was this, was this you extrapolating that idea out in a way that you can transform other communities? Yes, uh, not just the garden, but then because, you know, the idea is, you know, with this revitalized process, it was banning, banning um, chemicals, uh, integrating a, a grow system in our schools, keep, teach kids how to grow foods, get them in touch with soil systems, because, you know, getting them in touch with soil systems is going to help them a lot with their autisms and all these problems, right? Uh, uh, growing a community garden, um, starting a mushroom business to, to help with cleaning water systems, which we'll get into too. I mean, maybe, maybe on the next time, but um, but, uh, the, the last aspect was helping our local farmers to create a resilient ecosystem of locally produced large quantities of food, right? right. Instead of like, mass producing shit that makes Doritos, let's mass produce shit that like, you know, hemp that we can grow, we can make our, our, our clothes with and, and concrete with, and, and, you know, and it, it's hard to be a, a crop farmer that grows food right? You're, you're going to be growing grains of some sort, whether that's rye or oats or, but they don't have to be non-organic. I mean, we could be, we could be growing a whole type of, uh, of, of oat that's going to make bread for our community. That's not going to be causing gluten allergies, right? Cause you know, you're not having all these pesticides on it. They're opening up your intestines that allow the gluten to go through. Yep. So, you know, it's, it's teaching those farmers and that's, that's where living liquid came in because, and it wasn't necessarily, it's not my idea. It's a combination of multiple ideas from uh, uh, Korean natural farming, uh, which I'm not sure when it was invented, but the proponent that I've uh, listened to, his name is Chris Trump. He's 
I think he's actually in Idaho now, but uh, at the time when I was watching all his videos, he was in Hawaii and he does something called IMO harvesting. So indigenous microorganism harvesting IMO. Uh, and, and that's a Korean natural farming principle. And the idea is, is that you're, you're harvesting uh, microbes from a really healthy ecosystem. So in Hawaii, he would go out into the jungle and he would put a big cedar box about maybe you know, 12 inches by 12 inches. And it's got slats in the bottom of it that allow aeration to come through the soil and, and microbes to come through the soil. Uh, not big, like maybe like that, you know, just small little slats. And then he cooks el dente. Uh, and el dente is, you know, rice that's not been cooked all the way. It's a little, still a little hard. And the reason why that is because you don't want big clumpy sticky rice because that, that, that promotes uh, anaerobic bacteria. And you want aerobic bacteria and, and, and fungi. Fungi only survive in aerobic environments. Because uh, they also consume oxygen, uh, just like us. Um, so anyway, you you mix you, you you cook this rice and you put it in the cedar box and you go put it out in nature and you cover it up, right? Because you don't want other critters coming into eating the 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 micro the the the, the rice. You, what you want to do is you're trying to harvest the the soil systems biology, the the microorganisms of the soil. And so you cover it. There's there's microbiology and or microbiome in, in, in rain. There's microbiome in air and there's microbiome in soil. There's like three different places you can get it out in nature. And so you're trying to eliminate at least the rain, the air to some extent too, because you're covering it. You're just trying to draw the stuff from underneath. And so you find a really healthy ecosystem in your in your natural so, in your natural surroundings, whether that be a forest or a tree line or wherever. And then you set this box out. And after about you know depending on the heat. So I think it was four days for us at the climate that we were at. I can't remember what the numbers are, but so after four days, you come back and it's just covered in a pillow of mycelium. Like it just looks like a cloud. So you've harvested all this biology out of the soil system. And the idea with the living liquid is that we then proliferate that. You can either take it back to whether this be on the farm, you can mix it with your natural compost to basically say, hi, compost. My name's Living Liquid, or this, I'm your I'm your microorganisms from this really healthy ecosystem, and I'd like to get get together and help you. And the compost is like, whoa, we're dying over here, please. So first, you mix them together, and then they become symbiotic, and then you proliferate them into a liquid, and then spread that liquid. Or you could just you could just uh, proliferate just this, and then just spray it, depending on how denuded your soil is, or how much time you have, or how much you know, because doing this takes time. Right. When you mix that. You know, they call that uh, IMO2 when you mix it once and then you can mix it again, IMO3. So you're like, you're introducing the microbes of two different ecosystems together to find symbiosis before you then spray it. Okay. But the idea is then you proliferate that in a liquid. So you take that sample, whether it be the pre-mixed one or whether it be just your IMO1, the one from the healthy ecosystem, you put it into a 400 micron mesh bag, which is tiny holes. Like it can't come out. Okay. You're not going to have like, big particles of, of rice hanging out in your water that's going to clog your pump. And you put it in the sack. And then you, I, I, what I did was we mixed the IMO one with the local manure of this farm. And then you put like your fish fertilizer, uh, liquid aminos, all these other things that are going to help proliferate the biology. So you're, you're giving them food to eat. And then you brew it with an aerator. So I just plumbed it down all the way to the bottom. This is a 330 gallon drum. Mm-hmm. This is for the farm application. And we, we have one for the, the garden application too. Uh, that one's only like, you know, like a little sterilite tub. Okay. Um, and then you, you, you proliferate that for 24 hours. That's it. That's all you need to do. You just, depending on the heat again. So if it's cold, you can do it for two days, three days. Um, and then the oxygen that's being run through it is, is allowing that all that stuff to grow. The food's all there. And so basically you're creating a liquid 
microbiome. Now wow. this liquid is, is meant to be sprayed as a foliar application on your plants. And just like we said, we had microbiome on our skin. What you're doing is you're replenishing the microbiome of the skin of the plant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now what that's going to do is it's going to create biodefense. So when those bugs are, are flying by, they're not even picking up on the smell or scent of that plant because all they're picking up on is the microbes of that you just sprayed. So you're creating a, a biodefense shield over that plant where the, the bug's like, mm, is this something I could, mm, just flies off, right? Because it's so complex, right? That's something, that's something I want to emphasize here is that I think people don't understand is that plants in a natural environment and a naturally organic environment will defend themselves, right? They, they, the pests and everything in a, in a permaculture environment, if you look at a prairie, the, the balanced ecosystem will defend all the plants. You don't, the reason you have plants that are being attacked by pests is because of the monoculture, because yeah. you haven't got the bees in the local environment that are protecting against the other pests and like this mutually beneficial environment that they're all in symbiosis in. Yeah. If we look at it too, I mean, we're talking about like, for example, cabbage, uh, you know, you have those cabbage moths, those little pretty white moths that fly around everywhere. You're like, Oh, they're so nice. I don't want to kill them. Um, and, and hornets will actually go in and eat their larvae from the underneath of the leaves. So it's like, you have all these different things that are needed for an ecosystem. If only you just step back and let it allow, allow it to happen and help it to thrive. Right. So like, so, so for me, that's putting mycelium into the soil system. So that way, when that, when that moth does bite my plant, it stimulates my plant to say, help, help. And then there's an antioxidant that's formed in that cabbage because through its relationship with the soil structure uh, that now that plant is actually going to have more antioxidants in it because it's under stress. Now there's a level of too much stress versus minor stress. And that has to do with the balance of the ecosystem. So if you have a monoculture and everything's are super stressed and then you, you have to resort to spraying a pesticide. Now you're getting a, 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 a nutrient, uh, mm, not rich, uh, deficiency, deficient plant uh, food with pesticides in it. And that's what you're buying from most of the grocery stores, especially if they're non-organic versus one that's a biologically rich ecosystem. And it may have some bites on it, right? Like the little holes in your cabbage, but that's actually stimulated an immune response. That's asked the soil for help. The soil delivers the help that it needs. And now there's tons of antioxidants in that piece of cabbage. So when you eat that, those antioxidants and the microbes that are associated with them are now inside of you and you're giving it the fiber to proliferate. So you see where all the like ecosystem health comes together with human health. That also speaks to the power of equilibrium and balance, right? Like if you're in this stressful environment where it's severely and extremely disequilibrium, then you're going to have the manifestation of that in your body, you know, with all these autoimmune diseases and allergens that that, the healthcare just outright don't even have a grasp on. They don't even really know what's going on. And I'm actually thankful in some ways that they have no idea how to treat these things because at least then they're not treating in a lot of respects because they, they just don't even know how to deal with a lot of these autoimmune deficiencies, which... I mean, if you look at the prevalence of these illnesses, it, it has to correlate with our connection to the soil, the degradation of the soil, the connection with our food and the nutrition therein. And then even panning out farther, Sonny, the, the, the social climate. Like, look at how unbalanced our world social. Exactly, right. 
is. It's the same thing. You're just so polarized. Bigger and bigger and bigger. It's a problem with our unbalanced food and soil systems that's manifested. It's not just the people that are that are suffering. It's the whole social structure yeah. is so polarized and unbalanced, and we're looking for solutions that have more polarizing effects. It's like, what the fuck? Let's bring it all together here, people. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it, that we want to solve one extreme by going in the other extreme direction, and we really need to just find homeostasis and and find that middle path that that respects the natural balance of the earth and. Yeah, maybe that's something we we can explore in terms of the the mycelium's role in that and the and the impact that's going to have on health once we start having a more balanced approach. You know, you speak about right. how that's going to solve social issues potentially, how that's going to solve health issues, and and it's crazy to think how powerful food is because I don't think yeah. a lot of people a lot of people are really disconnected with food and. And this ties back to, to what we started talking about with spirituality as well. Food and your connection to food is really uh, also one of the first steps on the spiritual path because it's your spirit, right? Like it's your energy, it's your life source, as well as things like breathing as well, of course. But yeah, we, we neglect food in our own spiritual development in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, Which also you know, has a trickle down effect into our culture, right? Because if when if we're attacking our body and we're, we're showing no love or care to our own individual body, it's yeah. going to be much harder to have compassion in the wider community because you're not, you're not going to have that space within yourself to act, act on. Yeah. You're dealing with your own adversity as opposed to being able to help anybody else with theirs. You know, we're all in a, in a case of stress. So yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a step in the right direction, but more people need to be on, uh, you know, and I think it's coming, you know, it's, there's a lot of people talking about it. So it's, we're getting there. It's interesting, this, this stress, because our earth, our planet, our ecosystem is screaming. I'm, help. I'm help. I'm stressed. Yeah. You know, I'm that's... fucking dying and I'm going to kill you if you don't fucking clean me up. <laughs> Pretty much. It couldn't be clearer, right? With COVID, yeah. with, um, with the food crisis that you've experienced just in your local town, you know, there's these these systems are incredibly stressed and I want to explore with you the impact of stress, because you may know a bit more about this than me with the impact stress has uh, on the microbiome. So my, my understanding is stress has quite a profound effect on, on the gut flora and, and the microbiome. What can you speak to any of that? Hmm. I mean, I would say that they're, it's almost like an aurora Do you know what I mean? Like the snake eating its own tail, right? The chicken and the egg situation, because there's, there's ways that you can alleviate stress by rebalancing your microbiome. And you know what I mean? Like which one causes which, right? Which came first. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, how do you, how do you regain that equilibrium I can only speak to this on my own aspect of, of, you know, when I, when I live from my ecosystem, I reduce extremely the amount of stress in my life. And it's when I eat the things that are, <laughs> that are taking my body to the limits from an internal standpoint, let's say I, you know, I have a pastry from the local, from the local fucking pastry shop and it's not, 
good for me, right? It's not like a locally made one or a pop tart or these are the thing or or let's say let's say uh you know you you have a chicken sandwich from KFC or whatever and this this the stress of that ecosystem is what you're eating, right? Wherever that animal was growing. So you want to talk about our relation to stress. Uh, I see it from the other way. You know, you're, you're talking about how does stress influence the microbiome. I, I would say, how does the microbiome induce stress? Like that's, the way, that's the way I see it. So like you eat a chicken sandwich that's from KFC and where is that chicken being raised, right? It's being raised in an environment with, it's probably got, you know, maybe one square foot of space. That's, I mean, would you be, how stressed out would you be if you were yeah, pretty, one? pretty fucking stressed, pretty stressed. Okay. And now take it even another level further. They're feeding them a stressed, uh, a stressed feed source, which would be what corn or whatever that's been grown in a genetically modified environment, uh, bred with chemicals that further cause more stress in this animal. Okay. So now they're eating a stressed out, they're eating a stressed out food source and then top it all off. We inject them with, uh, antibiotics like six weeks before we harvest them because that internally stresses their microbiome out, which causes them to put on weight. So now what happens when you take a bite of that chicken sandwich within fucking 30 seconds, you know, 30 minutes, excuse me, you're having a fucking panic attack. You know what I mean? Maybe not full blown, but like, yeah, you, you feel the stress of what you're eating. So if you're eating something from a stressed ecosystem, you are going to feel that stress, whether you're aware of it or not. That's, that's how I feel. No, I like it. Uh, you've reverse engineered the question of stress because a lot of the times we think that things are external from us, right? Like the environment is acting on me and then causing this, but we're causing, it's, it's actually the reverse. We're, yeah. we're generating and, and co-authoring reality with our decisions, with our internal reality and that internal uh, dynamic, which I know it's hard because we can't see explicitly what's happening, but that's sort of what disease is, right? Like it's say it's the universe's way of telling you, Hey, look at this. Something's out of whack. Something's out of balance. So we are, we do get little signals, little flags that something is up, but um, it's those, I think what you're speaking to is though those internal dynamics, which are contributing to your mental health and, and these, and these, I mean, goes back to what you were saying with the gut being the first brain. If, if the gut is physically making the precursors for neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, etc., yeah. then your mental health is dependent on your gut health. Right. Yeah. And you, you want to dive into physical, the physical aspect of stress, like say running stress or, you know, like stress in your joints or, you know, your arms sore, that kind of stress, like physical stress. The same, the same would apply. I mean, if there's, there's, there is a level of inflammation in your body and there's a level of healing in your body. And when your level of healing goes lower than your level of inflammation, this is where you start to manifest disease because right. there's chronic inflammation, right? Chronic stress. Well, however that manifests, whether it be in your brain, whether it be in a, in a physical modality of a shoulder or whatever. And so the ways that you increase uh, anti-inflammatory versus inflammatory is fucking diet. It's, it's the antioxidants that are produced by a, a fiber rich a food source coming from a really healthy soil system. I mean, you're, you're creating short chain fatty acids in your large intestine that perform a myriad of anti-inflammatory, uh, all based on this fiber rich diet. 
So, I mean, going one step further, when you grow your own food and it's already rich with microbiome, you don't have to worry about There's where no it came inflammation from. in that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's a really important word, inflammation. And I'd, I'd like to dive into that a little bit because everything, all the sickness can be related to inflammation to some extent in, in the body. And yes. it's, it's really interesting. I read an article this week in The Guardian, which spoke about the rise in autoimmune uh, disease. And it, it, it baffles me because they're, they're so close to understanding it. And I don't know if they're intentionally misunderstanding it to disempower people. So the premise was that the DNA of some people gives them a, a, a higher susceptibility to autoimmune diseases. Which is part of the puzzle, but they've neglected to mention epigenetics and the power we inherently have as humans who are engaging with our internal and external environment to either upregulate or downregulate our genetics. And they always seem to talk about the the DNA as if it's set in stone. And we just know through epigenetics that's not true. So maybe you could speak to speak to that a little bit. Here's the, here's the issue. They, they assimilate uh, genetics and DNA, or maybe, maybe you're, you know, just saying that, but like they assimilate them as equal and the same. Okay. DNA is way bigger than human genes. Okay. That's, that's, so we, we set out to map the human genome in 2000 or right around there, 99, or I can't remember when it was. And it was going to be a 15 year project. Right. And they talked about how uh, we were going to be so complicated because we had, I think, 250,000, or maybe it was 400,000 different proteins. And genes are uh, genes are little pieces of DNA that code for the proteins that build our body. So if we had 400,000 proteins or 200, I can't remember how many, I'm not a scientist, but like just a lot. Say, there's a lot. <laughs> and uh, we had mapped just prior to starting the human microbiome or the human genome project, we had just finished with the flea and the flea had 30,000 genes. So we're thinking, okay, wow. Well, you know, if they got, you know, how many different proteins and, you know, this many genes, then it correlates, you know, we'll have a gene for every protein. And uh, in 2009, they finished six years early, figuring out that we only had 20,000 genes. Like what? We we're, we're, we're a two thirds as complicated as a flea genetically. And, and we don't have a gene for every protein. Like, how does that make sense? Well, what they didn't tell you is that in every cell there's DNA and in, in this giant long strand of DNA, that's in nucleus for every cell that, you know, wraps around the earth twice or, you know, it's crazy amount of DNA, less than 1% of it is your human genes, less than 1%. And so we take all this focus on the human genome and we throw away the other 99.9% of DNA and we try to make sense of it all. Oh, yeah. Even, oh, have, even have the audacity to call it junk DNA. Yes, I know. I know. Unbelievable. So it's, 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 yes, it's interesting. But I mean, as time has progressed and technology has advanced, we have started to map out this junk, quote unquote, junk DNA. And we're finding out it's the it's the it's the the DNA of our or not DNA but it's the it's the genome of our microbiome, and how it how it plays with our human genome is is it influences expression. So when someone is genetically susceptible to, you know, cancer or uh, diabetes or whatever, okay, you have the gene for you know muscular dystrophy or whatever gene you're, you want to talk, Alzheimer's, okay? 
The difference in expression of that gene and non-expression of that gene is the diversity and bolstered uh, uh, capacity of your microbiome's DNA, your epigenetic DNA. When I say epigenetic, it, it means, so the, the, the role of that, that microRNA, that 99.9% that of us, that's not even fucking human, is as we encounter a new ecosystem, this is why human beings are so resilient, right? We were able to live in any of the, of the seven continents on this planet uh, and, and, and still survive. And that has to do with, like I was talking about earlier about how we are so inherently in tune with our ecosystems at large because we have the largest surface area exposing us to the outside world, right? Um, that, that's because of that. So as, you know, as we encounter a new ecosystem, and we're breathing in these little exosomes of microRNA that's going into our lungs, going into wherever, and it's interacting with the cells of that surface, uh, that genetic uh, 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 information from the ecosystem is influencing our, our own genome. And within seven seconds, our, our human genes are reacting to what's going on in the ecosystem at large. So we're adapting in the moment. And so when we lose diversity of our microbiome, we're losing diversity of our ep epigenome, like the 99.9%. The and so when we lose that adaptability through the loss of diversity, we are more susceptible to these autoimmune diseases and diabetes and Alzheimer's and cancers. And, and so what you're seeing is, you know, we tie spirituality and science together through this, this idea of we are a temple filled with the Holy Spirit. And going back to the, the, the Native American philosophy of mind, body, spirit, and community, spirit is microbiome, the, the epigenome and how it influences our human genetic expression. So as, as we lose the spirit inside of us, and our temple is now falling fucking apart, this goes back to the like, biblical theology, right? And this is where science and medicine are going to, excuse me, science and spirituality are going to fuse if we're going to survive. We can't sit back and still recognize these two things as two different things. Like it's time for them to come together so we can actually do, like manifest yeah. that purpose. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. And, and it's a powerful message because uh, people often feel despondent at a loss because they feel like they're a victim of their physical disease or ailments, whatever it is that's going on inside. And this is, this is why I think this message is so important because yeah. it's telling it's telling you that you have the power to change to yeah. heal this stuff is not set in stone far from it in fact you could there's so many crazy examples on a, not just with a microbiome but you can change your chin bone structure your facial bone structure you can change over time just by chewing more which yeah. is mind-blowing you know that you can yeah, change yeah. bone density even at the age of 50 that's the that's the adaptability that's the neuroplasticity of the human body and like like you say that's the reason we've been so successful is because that is a superpower let's let's be honest to be able to to have that sort of plasticity uh, and, and respond to your environment is uh, yeah. is is a superpower but then i guess at the same time it can go the other way right like yeah. once imagine imagine if we were only if only we woke up and utilized that power instead of killing it because we're killing it right now, right? And that's yeah, why we're seeing the problem. That every problem, ability, every yeah. problem comes from that, I think. Uh, so when we start it seems to inevitable. That, that is, yeah. That's the inevitable conclusion. And 
once we start to engage with that truth and grapple with that truth, then then we can move away because we're we're becoming very weak and ironically spiritually as well right there's there's a lack of there's a lack of spirit within the community within our culture to to really take a proactive approach to health to to freedom you could take your pick of any social issue there's a real there's a real acquiescence in the air you know I just want to have my luxury my comfort my convenience and I'm willing to sacrifice my freedom my security my health and I, I think that comes from a place of like deep down understanding that we know that the world is super inflamed, inflamed and we're just trying to escape it, right? Like- It's a hard a, truth. Yeah, give me a donut, give me a fucking video game, give me a joint, give me a cigarette, give me a beer, anything to take me away from the reality that this world is dying and it's super inflamed. Like what I'm saying is stand and face it like a fucking warrior. And if enough of us do it, we can change the world. Like 100%. that's it. That's the truth. 100%. Yeah, this is something that I really want to want to ram home, especially on the health uh, point, because I've just spoken to so many people recently who who feel at a loss because the the trust in medicine is dying. You know, okay. and this is not this is not even necessarily just COVID related. This is more broadly at some of these chronic illnesses. They don't yeah. have the answers, so thing I've been saying to people is you have to explore alternative options. You have to start trying things for yourself and start being open to the fact that your answers are not going to become, uh, not going to be given to you with a prescription. You know, it's, it's about you taking response, personal responsibility. I'm a big advocate of radical responsibility to the level where I can solve my own problem and pain is just a high order information. It's just, it's just trying to give me uh, yeah, just attention to something that's in disequilibrium, you know, and that's what we're all trying to do on a personal level and on a collective level is find that middle path where we can live harmoniously with the world in a way that's not in violence, in conflict, in, in this just rampant, destructive culture that we seem to live in. Yeah. Yeah, man. I completely agree. So diving into reprogramming the the body, the, the subconscious, we were speaking uh, a little bit about uh, the mind. You mentioned it at the beginning as part of the, the Native American philosophy. Uh, it feels like a nice point, seeing as we're talking about reprogramming and sort of tapping into our epigenetics. And the, one of the most powerful things that I read uh, from, from Joe Dispenza, I think it was in his book, uh, Supernatural, was, was how trauma was, was manifesting in physical disease. You know, I think there was a story of a of a woman who's uh, sadly her husband took his own life and she developed these really rare uh, autoimmune deficiencies uh, for over the next two or three years. And it wasn't until she confronted this, this trauma that these, uh, these illnesses started to alleviate themselves. So I thought it could be a nice uh, little segue into your ayahuasca experience. And maybe before, before we do that, if you could articulate that, you, you really we spoke last time you it was a really nice um theory you had which i'd not come across before uh was the was the spirit as the microbiome so before we we dive into uh that the ayahuasca which seemed to elucidate that concept to you wh what do you mean by spirit as the microbiome i mean the you're talking about like a physical, you're talking about like the spirituality spirit, like the spirit of the plant, the spirit of the essence. I mean, you, you, when we talk about microbiome, 
literally you're taking the history of biology you know there's how many different species of of bacteria and fungi and viruses and parasites and archaea bacteria that have lived on the planet for fucking millions and billions of years and they are a part of you like isn't the very idea of spirit an essence of something that has been around forever right i mean uh you it's like a download, would you say? You download in human history in a weird way. Hey, just because we don't understand it, because it's smaller than us, we think that it's insignificant. And I think that that's very uh, parallel with the idea of spirit or, you know what I mean? Like, oh, we can't see it, but does it, does it not exist? You know, like there was a really great quote and I wish I could remember it, but it talked about that just because I can't hear it, just because I can't see it. And it had like this really deep answer to each one of them. But is, is that not spirit? It's something that we can't physically see, but is very much there. Um, and I believe that is the microbiome because of the way that it influences. Like, for example, you know, Native American philosophy believes that spirit, you know, not all Native American, but I would say a vast majority uh, believes the spirit of the wind. You know what I mean? Like, so you, the idea of forest bathing, when you go out and you're breathing out these exosomes of microRNA from your, from your, from your, your genome, your epigenome, and it's it's an influence with your microbiome and your and your human genome saying, oh, Gary's like stressed. Gary's mm-hmm. inflamed right now. The spirit of nature, right? They have the spirit of Waitiko as well, right? When you get uh, when you get that sort of anger or that any sort of negativity, they they would refer it re- refer to it as Waitiko, like it was this spirit that was overtaking you and. Yeah. Is I always love that because it's it's when you observe yourself in those moments when you are angry and and sort of in that mind state you you are possessed to some extent you know there is a spirit that infuses you yeah uh but when you breathe out that stuff nature is going to give you what you need that's why the concept of force bathing is so nurturing right like they show that you know spending this much time out in a wooded forest is going to help you and from a scientific standpoint we're actually talking about you know microbiome but I think on a spiritual level, we're talking about the spirit of nature itself. And, and I think those two things are congruent. I think they're the same thing. I think that the, the science that we're explaining is the spirit. And so, you know, you asked, you asked, how do I believe that ayahuasca, the spirit of ayahuasca, both in, you know, visual ceremony and in physical reality, what, what was it really doing to me? I mean, let's look at what ayahuasca is, you know, this comes from you know, basically the Garden of Eden of an area, <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the Amazon rainforest. Right? Yeah. It, for how many millions of years have, have these trees been around? And if these trees have microbiome and these vines have microbiome and you're ingesting the oldest plants, the, o- the oldest spiritual, uh, positive spiritual plants from the Amazon jungle, along with their microbiomes and you're ingesting that, from a physical standpoint, you are inoculating your own microbiome with a really healthy and resilient new addition, right? It's not going to like supplant everything in there, but it's definitely just like with uh, different fungi. For example, um, reishi uh, has the ability to um, immune modulate. And I would, I would have to say that has to do with its ability to uh, architecture 
be an architect for an ecosystem. So like it can dial up and say, oh, we don't like this bacteria here. We're going to exude this thing to, that eliminates that one. I would say that the ayahuasca in the very sense, it was not just ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is just the vine. You got the chacruna, the lapuna, nine different trees that you're adding to that and their microbiomes as well, which are, you know, if we have two thirds of us is, is biology that's not human, like imagine what that tree is, you know, and all of the genetic data from long lineages that have survived over millennia, millions, billions of years, however long it's been around. And you're ingesting that you're ingesting this really ancient scientific biological wisdom. That's going to help you to, you know, uh, clean out your microbiome and restart. Right. And the, science, the science is starting to support some of this stuff, which is really interesting as well. In the summer, there was a study that looked at uh, the effects of ayahuasca on uh, down-regulating, uh, they proved it down-regulated some um, epigenetic markers related to trauma. So yeah. you, when you look at that objectively, the science is saying yeah. this can potentially heal ancestral trauma, which is exactly the same words a shaman would use. Right, right. And now when you take your body out of the equation, so we're now leaving the physical, scientific, biological realm, and we're moving to a higher plane of existence, which is where ayahuasca will take you, you're able to interact with these tiny little fucking microbes. You know, we talk about spirits, you're, you're ingesting a spirit of something, you know, whether it be the collective spirit of all these microbes together in the essence of this vine, or whether it be all these small little spirits that you're interacting with, but they're now your size or way bigger because we're not, you know, we're not held to the confines of the physical reality anymore. Right. And these spirits that are so minuscule in reality, if we're talking from a scientific aspect are now monstrous and teaching us these like infinite wisdoms that have always been there because you came from that, right? Our first brain, that's what it's saying. You already know this. You're source. just letting your second brain, brain fuck it up through ego. You know what I mean? And dissolve that shit. Let go of it. It does not serve you, which is the, the main message it taught me. And it took till night three to, to really have that breakthrough because I was so ego driven the first two nights. How do I, how do I let me understand? The, let me feel the pain of the world so I can better understand how to heal it. Like what a fucking egocentric thing to ask for. And, Boy, if she didn't show it to me and it was, I was by 15 minutes in, I felt like it was four hours. And I mean, time is irrelevant in these States, right? Because you're outside your body. But I remember begging God to make it be over. And I trusted, I just, please, I trust. Like I see now that you are the all powerful. I believe, please make the stop. <laughs> you know, I will never do this again. Be I just careful trust. what you wish for basically. Yes, yes, motherfucker. You want to step up with your big ass ego? We will knock you down a peg. And that's exactly what it did. But, you know, I asked for it. I needed to see it and I saw it and I learned what I needed to do. But it was, it was extreme. Like, I understand that it is not about me. It's not. I am just humbling process that, that is so important, isn't it? To realize your insignificance in a lot of ways and, and just being part of this. grandeur of wonder that is being alive and being part of this ecosystem is is truly magical and it just allows you to reconnect with that wonder and that awesomeness yeah it's almost like you know when you when you first meet a group of people and there's like all, all, all this like flexing to figure out status of who's you know like 
that's that's how it was for me at least with the ayahuasca. It was like I came in and be like, I'm a pretty cool guy. Let's you know, let me show you what I could do. And then it was just like boom, you know, like all right, you can come out now, you know. And I was like, okay, all right, you're all powerful. I'm just here to learn and trust. And then we went on this just amazingly magical ride, you know, like teaching me so many things. I felt like a little child, much like I did when I was in more of a visceral way when I did uh, mushrooms in Thailand. I remember laying on the ground feeling like I was communicating with some kind of alien source and I felt like an infant. Like it was very much like that. Like I had this very much childhood curiosity, like, like the, the, the vulnerability, would you vulnerable say? Vulnerable Gary, exactly. The vulnerable Gary of like, please don't leave me. I remember saying that to Ayahuasca, like, will you stay with me? And it was so nurturing. And she said, of course, I'll stay with you. Like, I said, can we learn more about this tomorrow? Yeah, of course we can learn more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't worry. Yeah, beautiful. So beautiful. You know, it was just, yeah, it was. Um, so I, I, I loved it. I, you know, obviously I'm back in Western society and Western society is filled with sin. I would love to just escape to a place like that, but that's only going to serve me, you know, and maybe the people that come there. I, what I'd rather do is take those lessons, integrate them in my life, try to sustain them and bring that concept of living here to try and change this community. That's you the know? role of the shaman is to dive into the unknown and grapple and wrestle with these universal truths that are quite frankly terrifying a lot of the time and uh, try and just bring back a, a nugget of gold that you can share and impart with with other people and and integrate that do you feel like you integrated those or i know you're still going through that process but do you feel like more mature to integrate that process compared to the first experience back in thailand 100 percent. yes i mean don't get me wrong i'm still a man i'm still there's still sin you know i still I still had a beer the other night. Of I, course, you know, but I, I imagine there's more reverence for the plant medicines now than maybe there was eight years ago. Oh, absolutely. There is such a respect for this, not just not just the biology of it anymore, now the spirit of it. You that's know. so important. Yeah, I think that's to, to, to truly grasp what we're talking about. You have to look at both sides of it. You know, I mean, you can look at the scientific side of it and it, 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 it equates out. But when you incorporate the spirituality of it, you understand the purpose and the, you know, the, it's, it's where it becomes meaningful work. It's not just about, you know, status and, and money. And it, this is where it's like it, the idea of revitalize. That's what I want to do. The mushroom farm is a way for me to make that happen. And I think if capitalism takes a turn in that direction, where we're driving nonprofit work, where where our capitalistic ventures are driving our nonprofit work versus the other way around, you know what I mean? Not the other way around, but there is no, <laughs> most people are just out to make money and not give it back. Like for me, I want to give it all back, but I have to make money to give it back. Mm. Like you'll never see me driving in a, in a Jaguar or, or, you know, a jet or, you know, it's just, that's, there's just no time for that. Yeah, no, I agree. To some extent, there's no incentive for uh, these more wholesome activities. A lot of the time, they actually make them more difficult, like with, with you discussing how the ordeal with the communal garden went, you know, there was obstacles and regulations. And I know in the US, the regulations are really strict with selling produce that is, you know, you've actually... yeah produce yourself is it's crazy it's almost as if they're doing it intentionally to make it more difficult but 
Um, I think, yeah, it's it's a hard one. How do we, how do we, I, well, I think on a personal level, it's just very empowering to have that purpose first and foremost, but, but then try and build something around that purpose. So that's why I find what you're doing super inspirational because it's, it's very easy to, to put your feet up and, you know, not, not tackle these big questions. But for me, this is the beauty of living now. This is the reason we're here. This is the reason we've incarnated into these bodies is to try and uh, build a new system, quite frankly, which is a, based around the things you mentioned, you know, mind, body, spirit and community. And I think all the things we've spoke about tie in and there's so much overlap and there's so many little rabbit holes in, in, in all of them that we could go down but yeah i it's think it, it's quantum idea it's not linear it's quantum it's everything all together as a unit it's yeah. that's a perfect way to put it because <laughs> you feel that in life don't you when you start yeah. getting one thing in place like two things pop out of place and then you're constantly playing this juggling act of like oh i'll pull this thread and that starts unraveling this thread and you're like it's all so beautifully fractal and interlinked and it, it's, it, yeah, it's really mind blowing when you go down, down yeah. this path. But I think we can both speak to uh, the, the beauty of, of engaging in this process, you know, meeting eight years ago and here we are eight years later, uh, yeah. just, just different people, different, uh, different ideologies and, 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 different motivation as well but all all the better for this process i think yeah it's because we ingested the spirit of that damn elephant bro <laughs> for sure for sure it's all started there for, in in a big way and it's, it's cool to see these processes come full circle i know that that ayahuasca trip was a was a big one for you and and yeah last year as well was was a really big year for me just to just to really, um, yeah, bring it full circle and, and know you're at least heading in the right direction because it's the world is so squirrely at the moment that, you know, it's hard to tell up from down. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Yeah. Any last thoughts before I let you go? Um, no, not really, man. I, I will, I will tell you, I mean, I wanted to tell you that, uh, you know, we're talking about the spiritual rootedness of, I, I think if we live our purpose in spirit, I think we're not going to go wrong. You know, like talking about a new type of, of uh, business or capitalism, talking about giving back to mother nature first is your first priority. You'll never see a, a business fail. Um, you know, uh, you know it, we talk about the original fortune 500 companies and I think there's only eight of them that are still around. What does that tell you about the sustainability of the current model? Right. So when we change our vision to giving back whether that be to community, whether that be to mother nature, you're, you're going to reach such a, a sustainability and, and you're going to thrive, you know, and that's, that's almost where I've taken now the business venture of, of half of revitalize is called mana mycelium and mana to me is spirit. You know, I learned that in, in Maori culture about in, in New Zealand, you know, they believe the spirit of their ancestors resides the mana in this in the stone of jade that they that they pass from ancestor to ancestor or find in the river and they believe it's old spirits that are that have that's found them and so mana is spirit and mycelium is the roots of your fungi so quite literally the the name of my company is mana mycelium spiritually rooted right rooted in spirit 
Couldn't think of a more beautiful way to end it, brother. Thank you so yeah. much. I really appreciate your time and uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Always, brother. Let's talk again. You know, next time let's get into some fucking, we'll, we could talk about uh, farming aspects and reversing desertification and all that yeah. kind of stuff. There's so much, there's so much to discuss and uh, yeah, appreciate all the, all the yeah. hard work you're doing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really inspiring. So thank you. Likewise, Sonny. It was, uh, it's always good to chat, bro.